a focused summary of chapters 9 through 14 of Bugjar Gaul. At the conclusion of the terrible scene with the alligator, Marie stood stupefied until Dauverny broke the silence and said they ought to leave the accursed place. He asked Marie how the slave had come to save her, and she told him that when she screamed, this man rushed from the wood to help her, opposite to the side from whence had come the song. This fact disrupted the theory that had been forming in Dauverny's mind, that Marie's savior was his secret rival. This man, too, was of great height and muscular build, like the one he had grappled with the night before. Both were in the half-clothed garb of a slave, and both had addressed him in Spanish. The man in the song had called himself a king, but though a slave, his antagonist possessed a noble bearing and proud expression befitting that description. These conjectures made Dauverny again tremble with rage and a desire for revenge. But his indecision returned. After all, many Negroes mix the Spanish language with their jargon, and perhaps that strange question, why did you kill him, was not the expression of a desperate love for his master's daughter, but merely of a distaste for the life of a slave. It could have been by sheer accident that he appeared at that very moment. Could Dauverny base his accusation on evidence so frail? So, when Marie declared that they ought to find and reward her rescuer, her words had a decisive effect. He informed his uncle that he owed his daughter's life to one of his slaves, and his uncle promised the man's liberty if he could be found. Ordinarily, Dauverny avoided the parts of the plantation where the slaves worked because it pained him to see their suffering. But the next day, he accompanied his uncle on an inspection tour, hoping to find Marie's savior. He observed the slaves' reaction to their master. They trembled, redoubled their efforts, and looked at him with hatred. Seeking an object on which to vent his wrath, the cruel master found it in a negro who, overcome with fatigue, had gone to sleep. When he was rudely awakened, he stood up to reveal that he had accidentally crushed a precious rose tree. The master had raised his whip to strike the man when his hand was arrested by the powerful grasp of a man who said to punish him instead. This was the same man to whom they owed Marie's life. The master raised his whip again, and this time the negro tore it from his hand, broke it, and cast it under his feet. Dauverny's uncle stood motionless with rage at being thus defied. Then, with a dignified air, the slave handed him an axe and said, If you wish to strike me, at least take this. Now it was Dauverny's turn to intervene, and he seized the axe, threw it in the well, and told his uncle he had saved him from striking the preserver of his daughter, the man to whom he had promised liberty. With a tone of menace, his uncle declared that this man did indeed deserve to have an end to his slavery, and that a court-martial would decide what would be accorded to him. The slave was thrown in the dungeon, accused of assaulting a white man, a crime punishable by death. His curiosity excited, Dauverny learned what he could about the prisoner. He discovered that the man was revered by his fellow slaves, despite the fact of being a Congo, a slave brought from Africa, for whom they ordinarily had great contempt.
he was given a different sort of respect than they paid Habibra, whom they looked upon with a sort of superstitious dread. He had enormous strength and could do the work of ten of his companions. He was affable with his equals and haughty with his overseers. They never dared inflict any humiliating punishment on him. He would have helped them, and twenty men would have volunteered to take his place. This man was known as Pierrot. Dauverny became desperate to see this man and serve him. Discovering that the commander of the fort was the brother of a man he had rendered service, he called on him to gain access to Pierrot's cell. The commander was Sergeant Thaddeus. He found Pierrot seated in his cell, which was too small for him to stand upright, with an enormous dog lying at his feet. The dog rose and growled at Dauverny until the Negro summoned him back, calling him Rask. Then the Negro rose and in a calm voice said, I am ready. Dauverny remarked with surprise that he thought he would have been in irons, and the man merely kicked them aside, saying he had broken them, in a tone that seemed to say, I was not born to wear fetters. Dauverny expressed surprise that he had been allowed a dog, and the man moved aside a large stone and showed him the opening he had created in the iron bars. This led in a ray of light that illuminated Dauverny's face, and seeing it, the prisoner started as if he had stepped on a snake, striking his head on the ceiling. Hatred, then kindness, then astonishment passed rapidly in his eyes. Then he repeated the words, I am ready, and asked Dauverny not to hurt Rask. It was then that Dauverny realized Pierrot thought he was there to announce his execution, and yet he had accepted his fate with calm and childlike serenity. Dauverny expressed offense that the man would not only take him for his executioner, but believe him capable of injuring a dog. In response, the Negro extended his hand, saying, White man, pardon me. I love my dog, and your race have cruelly injured me. Then he added that Dauverny himself injured him twice, by saving his life, and by taking from him his right to hate him. Dauverny then told Pierrot he owed him more than his life. He owed him the life of Marie. At her name, the man started in shock and then let his head fall in his trembling hands. Once again, Dauverny's suspicions were aroused, but he was too near happiness and this man too near death for him to feel the threat of a rivalry. The prisoner told him to go and not to thank him, but also to know that he is not of inferior rank. Despite Dauverny's entreaties, he would say nothing more of his history. Dauverny learned only that he was an educated man, able to speak with facility in French and Spanish. Every day at the same hour, he returned to see the prisoner, who had not been set free despite Dauverny's pleas. Often Rask would come to the cell with a palm leaf with some lines inscribed on it, tied around his neck. Dauverny did not ask questions. One day, when he entered, the Negro was singing a melancholy Spanish air. Then he turned sharply around and, calling Dauverny brother, made him promise that if he ever doubted him, he would cast aside suspicion when he heard him sing that air. 
Doverny promised, not knowing what he could have meant by the words, if you ever doubt me. They drank from the same cup, and from that day forward, he always called Doverny brother. Doverny took advantage of his uncle's mood, which had been softened by the impending wedding, to obtain a reprieve for Pierrot, and once or twice his uncle hinted he might not follow up on his complaint. When he asked Pierrot why he did not escape, even though he believed himself under sentence of death, Pierrot replied coldly, They would think that I was afraid. One morning Marie came to Doverny with an expression of joy at having done a good deed, and told him that she had asked her uncle for a boon after the manner of the knights of old, knowing how he liked to be compared to them. The gift she asked of him was Pierrot's life. Doverny embraced her, thinking her an angel. He hastened to the prison to tell Pierrot that his life was saved because Marie had asked for it as a wedding present. When he learned that they were to be married on August 22nd, he pleaded with Doverny to marry sooner, but he would offer no explanation, saying to do so would be to perjure himself. Doverny left him feeling uneasy. The next day, he returned to release him from prison, but Pierrot was not there. Only Rask remained, with a palm leaf fastened around his neck, bearing a note that thanked Doverny for saving him a third time and reminded him of his promise. Doverny wanted to keep Rask, but he plunged into a thicket and disappeared.